Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I recap both UFC Vegas 37 and Bellator 266, two big main events in the light heavyweight divisions. Also, I interview Bill Davis after his win over Yoel Romero at Bellator 266. Last weekend, um, excellent UFC, excellent Bellator. Our own, that's right, you got chest pound, we say it. Anthony Smith over Ryan Spann in a very entertaining man, but, but, but an entertaining card all the way around. Of course, we'll get over my my picks and everything after that. Um, did, did you see everything live, KB? I never know if you see it live or after the fact because of the no, way I life saw everything is live. right now. I saw everything live. Uh, what was more entertaining to you, the UFC or the Bellator? UFC. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. I thought the, 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 the um, Bellator was all right. I'm having Phil Davis on today at 3 o'clock. Uh, just a workmanlike performance from him. Let's start with the Belter. A workmanlike performance over Yoel Romero, who, despite his physique, despite what we know we can do athletically, athletically, suddenly looked 44 years old. Just suddenly act. Let's say look. He doesn't look like that. I'm 44 years old. He looks like he's freaking 20. But suddenly performed like a 44-year-old, suddenly performed like someone who wasn't quite sure if he could pull the trigger. Now, it's always been an issue throughout Yoel Romero's career is, and and the way I describe him is, I've never seen him fight five minutes in a row. (laughs) What I mean by that is, he's explosive. And I talked to his coaches at Top Team who are like, dude, he's a freak. He's a freak. He's the freakiest athlete we've ever seen. What he can do is amazing. He has, I don't know if it's a fight IQ thing, but let's, let's file it under fight IQ. He's one of, most, one of the lowest fight IQs I've ever seen, meaning he'll explode and maybe finish you. We saw him do it to Luke Rockhold. We saw him do it to Chris Weidman. We saw him do it to a lot of people. All right, flatten Jacare. Jacare was able to stay in the fight. But he's not able to keep the pressure on long enough to, a lot of times, bank rounds. If his opponent will just stay in it, and for do people, do you remember Barry Sanders, Kobe? The running back, Detroit Lions, one of the greatest of all time? Of course. I don't know if you're old enough to remember. He retired quite a few years back. But uh, the best description I ever heard of Barry Sanders was from Michael Strahan. And he said, never chase Barry Sanders. He'll come back to you eventually. Meaning he cuts so much, he angled so much, that you might miss him completely, and then he'll angle and angle back to you and you can get him. Yoel Romero's like that a little bit, where he'll explode, but if you can survive that initial explosion... He'll eventually wear down and let you back into the fight, whether in that round or in the next round. He almost never, once again, strung together five minutes where he looked the same. Consistency, always his problem. But now we're seeing that that explosion, that that ability to pull the trigger and do something amazing or crazy or unpredictable is getting to the point where I know it's, it's no longer feared. And what I saw, and I can't wait to talk to him about it, Phil Davis joining us at 3 o'clock, that fear of Phil Davis can do any, I mean, uh, Yoel Monroe can do anything at any time. I felt like by the end of the fight, Phil didn't feel that at all. He took him down. He, was, he had the better takedowns. He was very sharp with his striking. He was tight. He was contained. Phil does not make very many mistakes. And I didn't get the sense that Phil believed Yoel Romero would explode and... 
get back into the fight with something crazy. Do you did you feel that as well? As I was sitting there watching it, Kobe, I was like, this is a Yoel Romero that can't do the crazy stuff that allowed him to stay in big fights. Am I wrong? <laughs> I was actually kind of laughing during it because my father was watching with me, and he was like, uh, he's like, are these guys wrestlers? I guess I take it they're not because they just weren't going for takedowns at all that first round. But I'm they like, don't. No, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, no. The one guy's like an NCAA uh, gold medalist. The other guy's an Olympic silver medal. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it kind of cancels out sometimes. And then all of a sudden, Phil Davis decided, yeah, I can take this guy down. Like, set it up perfect. Started to get back to you know a little bit of a vintage Phil Davis yep. with the takedowns and just dominating on top. Um, yeah. At some point, I think he just, I think he felt like y'all was slowing down. I was like, okay, I can take him now. Right, but that that sense of like, oh, I better be careful, right? Like, I better whoa. Oh yeah, fly. I mean it's y'all. Yeah, hit you but, with something. Right, but that that sen- I didn't feel that. I feel like at a certain point, Phil didn't feel that anymore. Like, oh, I, I don't. Maybe first round, and now that I was like, wait a second, he's not going to do anything. And I remember Cub Swanson, Crone Gracie. Remember that one? When as soon as Cub was like, dude, he's not going to try and take me down. Oh my god, this is great, and he just started evenly beating Crone Gracie up. And it's that same kind of thing. When I don't worry about you using your best weapon, oh, crap, I can do a lot of stuff to you. And I felt like that's what happened. Um, switching gears to the main event for the UFC, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. The only thing that worked differently, and Kelly loves pointing this out. This is her favorite thing ever. I thought it would go a little bit longer. I thought Anthony Smith, being as smart as he is, and I'm not kissing his ass, is a, a huge fight IQ and he's fought some really great fighters. He's a smart fighter. He's athletic, sure, but there are plenty of guys in the light heavyweight division who are more athletic than Anthony Smith, who are bigger, who are stronger, who can do things Anthony Smith can't do. He's never relied on that. He's got good smarts. The guy really does the right thing at the right time. Against a an explosive, rangy knockout guy like Ryan Spann, I thought maybe Anthony Smith would play a, a more conservative game, let this get to round four or five, drown this kid. I've been here, you haven't been here. We didn't even get there. Anthony Smith was the better fighter throughout this three minutes and 47 seconds. He just was. A great performance by Anthony Smith. I know, Kel, you were screaming at your television because that's your boy. That's the, that's the Smith you love working with. Yeah, just, just say it. You can, you can do it. Yeah, I mean, don't we've be ashamed. over this. Like, don't be ashamed. Is, it's okay. Don't worry my about my Smith. feelings. Don't worry about my feelings, Cal. Just <laughs> let me have it. Just don't don't spare my feelings. It's okay. Listen, we've gone over it. But you already okay. know the answer. I and I'm sorry. Just stings a little bit every time, but it's okay. It's all right. Anyway, so Anthony Smith, my my brother from another mother. By the way, uh, ESPN asked me. I don't know if you guys know this. Because uh, it, was, it was ESPN used it on their, their MMA site and everything. My producer for ESPN International goes, we're trying to get Anthony Smith, but, you know, UFC PR, we're having trouble doing it. I was like, I could just text him. And I text him, like, hey, Anthony, I got it from you, you know, KOP. And I, I just t- I was going to say, let's, uh, let's make sure we, no, uh, no. we credit the person who makes right. this all happen. Right. KOP, was, I was like, hey, KOP, can I get Anthony's number? Because I didn't have it for some reason. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Called him. He's like, yeah, bro, when? And I'm like, tomorrow, six guys. Sure, sure, man. And my producer's like, you did it? I was like, yeah, it's, you know. No problem at all. I work with the guy constantly. So we love Anthony Smith. Great watching that. Really getting back on track. Iwan Kutalaba over Devin Clark. Did you see those side-by-side comparisons people did with him and L.C. Davis, that that fight I called? L.C. Davis fought Japanese cat. um, His name right now is escaping me. And broke, literally fractured the bottom, like all... 
the best way to put it, uh, I was I was getting ready to interview LC, and he smiles, and all of his bottom teeth are folding in. All of them. Like, you had just, like, just folded them the wrong way. And I went, oh, my God. And I said, dude, can you do the interview? You know, because we're in commercial order. I can talk to him. He goes, oh, man, I've been waiting all day to talk to you. Yeah, 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 I'll get this fixed up. Same thing happened to Devin Clark. It looked like a jaw fracture, which is basically you just crack the bone slash teeth underneath the first row of teeth. And it was all folded and messed up. And that's what happened when we took on Iwan Kutalaba. Iwan just an aggressive kickboxer, man. If you can find a way around him, if you can time him, you can outgrapple him. Do a lot of stuff with Iwan Kutalaba. Not many people can just stand and bang with the guy. And I think we proved that when it came to Iwan Kutalaba, Devin Clark. Iwan Kutalaba is a really solid mid-level guy. He's I wouldn't say they haven't used him quite in the gatekeeper status yet. They haven't really um, put him there. But he's just one of those guys that can beat a ton of mid-level guys. And when you put him against the elite, put him against top guys, guys fighting for titles, that's when you're going to have trouble. And this was just a, 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 another example of that. Armand Sarukin, his stock keeps rising. Christos Giagos really didn't have anything for him. Knockout TKO in the first round, two minutes in. Um, Joaquin Buckley getting back on track after a highlight reel knockout, a little step back, Antonio Rowe, he knocks him out in the third round. It was an entertaining all-around card. What we're going to talk about um, is essentially what it did for the winners of these main events. What did it do for the people who came out on top in the main event? Of course, Anthony Smith, our guy, we love him, what does it do for him? Where does he go from here? It was a fight that I believe he had more to lose than win, if that makes any sense. It was weighted on one side. He could not afford to lose to Ryan Spann and stay in the title conversation. But does a win over Ryan Spann immediately launch him into the title conversation? I would say no right now. I would say no. It needs to fight... God, and, and also, could anyone believe he called out Alexander Rakic after that one? That was, uh, Kel, you are, you, you are like, I didn't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that. Tell me what you're thinking, Kel. Tell the world. No, I, I kind of was expecting that. I think Anthony. He's truly, that guy. Yeah, right? and I think that Anthony's Anthony that guy, truly yeah. believes that he is better than Alexander Rakic, and, but he, he fully admits that Rakic bested him that night. But I do think that he thinks he is better and he just was not in a good place going into that fight. Um, and pretty much Rakic took his spot. He wants it back. He has to fight somebody ahead of him if he's going to get a title shot. And that kind of makes sense right now. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting because not only is Rakic an outstanding fighter, um, he also just put an ass whooping on Anthony Smith. But it was right after Anthony Smith had the fight with Clover Teixeira. Ryan Spann is one of those, and and I don't like to lump a lot of people in the same category. As you said, you know, Iwan Kutalaba is a similar kind of thing. If you stand and bang with Ryan Spann, uh, he could knock you out. Does he have a decent submission game? Yeah. Uh, mostly guillotines, front chokes, what I call opportunistic submissions. Got to mess up and do something positionally bad, and Ryan Spann will get you. But 
He can knock out anyone in the division. He's almost like a Kevin Holland, where it's like, yeah, he can knock out anybody, Kevin Holland at 185, but if you take him out of that realm and make it about anything other than range and power, it's a tough night for him. And 205 right now is a very interesting mix, but it's a matter of being well-rounded enough to get your message across. Because when I look at the top right now, Jan Blavich, Glover Teixeira, you Prochatka, more striker than anything else, but he does have some skills. Alexander Rakic, that dude's amazing. Anthony Smith at number four, Thiago Santos. They can do a lot of stuff. I don't see Ryan Spann doing enough stuff, having enough skills to get there based on what I saw last weekend. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Obviously, I was at Bellator when Phil came over from the UFC, um, and I got my first chance interviewing him pretty early on. We did a thing called, um, was it Roll? Yeah, it was called Rolling with Jimmy, where I picked people up. I had 69 Barracuda at the time, and I would take them to their gym and roll them and like kind of do an interview. And I got to say, Phil Davis stands out as, as one of my favorites. Phil, how you doing, bud? Hey, what's up, Jumbo? How you doing, my man? It's been a while. I know you yeah, miss good. me. <laughs> so, are you, tell, are you telling the story about how you came down to San Diego and we rolled together? Yes, I did. That was a fun time, man. Oh man, oh man. Hey, I tell you what. I, out of all the you know people that I've I've uh, you know just known who are not professional fighters and. And maybe haven't had a, a professional background in sports. You, my friend, stand out as uh, <laughs> somebody who is uh, pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. <laughs> Thank you, man. For, Jimmy, for an old guy that's know, not fighting anymore, I'm all right. Game. <laughs> Thank you, bud. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot, man. So uh, let's talk about this fight you had with Yoel Romero, man. Um, against a guy like Yoel, who... As a 44-year-old, I guess, brain, his body's like a 25-year-old. This dude's a freak. What's it like? I know. It makes me jealous. What's it like getting ready for a guy like that who is so athletic, unorthodox, explosive, however you want to put it? What was that training camp like, man, getting ready for literally anything? Uh, You know, a lot of – a couple times, uh, you know, you do your pre-fight media and – um, it's kind of interview after interview, and a lot of times I got asked, you know, yeah, this, this guy is 44 years old, you know, like, uh, you know, is he really going to be the same guy that we know? And I was like, uh, yes, y- yes, he is. You, <laughs> let me explain something. He, this man is a silver medalist. So, and it's hard for the regular person to quantify what that means. You know, when you are like a high school athlete and you're pretty good, just pretty good that means that you're you're above the level of like my parents forced me to do the sport and i ended up getting good that means you're you're some you know uh advantages just your body has some advantages towards sport when you get to the the college and professional level 
that means you have put in time, hard work, and industry and, and, and energy into being good, and you are just exceptional. And this man is like a, a notch above that. Like he is a a one percent athlete, and if you think that he has a, a, a short shelf life or twenty forty four years of age means anything, you you're mistaken. You just uh, what he has is really great, and it's not a gift that fades uh, as quickly as some of the other people we've seen over time. I'm curious about that. You and I talked about that um, with your with your wrestling background. Of course, you you wrestled at Penn State. You're national champion at Penn State. You fought at Penn State in front of Kale Sanderson. That was an, an amazing moment for everybody involved. That idea that you walk into a wrestling room at Penn State and you may have been a high school badass. You might have three or four state titles and you know national titles and all that stuff. And you're in a room full of guys that that means. Zero. You you are no longer the badass of your little high school in Pennsylvania or Ohio or Iowa or whatever. You're no longer that guy. Why does that break so many guys, Phil? Yeah, you know it it it, it really does, and um, it, it's man, it, it's 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 difficult to uh, to adjust. You either. Find a way to thrive. Most times in wrestling, or or with most sports, you are the big fish in the little pond. You come from your small town somewhere, and you you know you're the hot dog, you're the, you're the hot ticket, and um, then you go to a, a college campus full of other blue chippers, uh, other guys that were multiple time state champion, multiple time national qualifiers and finalists, and uh, and all of a sudden you're no longer a big deal, and everybody has the high level tricks. And uh, only the best guys can learn to thrive at that level. It's uh, it's you know, it's 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 twofold. It's both physically challenging and, and mentally challenging to overcome that. Uh, tell tell me about uh, the Yoel Romero fight. It looked to me like there was a certain point. I would say in round number two when you started when you started going for your takedown and realizing, oh, I can get this guy. I can you you know. You you know slouch on the mat, bro. You know you, you got to take down it too. You know you know a couple tricks, right? Um, that you started realizing that those things that he's so good at, those shot stoppers, the flying knees, weren't going to be an issue for you. That's what it looked like to me. Is that what it felt like to you? That 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 comfortability of wait, I can take this guy down too. Started happening about round two. Did it happen? And if so, why? So there is. There's a point when, um, you know, you guys really start opening up their offense where, where you really settle into a fight. And although he was going for some really big punches in, uh, in the first round, um, you, you know, it, it's – how do I put this? He was uh, – he tried to get directly into punching range in the first round and uh, just through a lot of jabbing. And uh, a couple good straight right hands, he kind of gave up on getting into punching range, and then he kind of extended it out to kicking range. And he was like, "All right, cool, I'll hang out here until I get the right angle, the right distance, and I'm going to swing hard and get my get my big whopper." So he kind of extended it out to there. But in the middle of the second, in the middle of the second round, sorry, the kids are running around trying to. I understand completely. <laughs> middle of the second round um that was like the you know we were both kind of settled into our 
our comfortable feel and we were we were within punching range we were just kind of starting to throw combinations and that's where I love 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 to be set up my takedowns set up my punches and my kicks and as soon as I saw him commit to a hard punch that is that's go time and I, that- I love to keep that I love to keep that range that the range where uh, you know you got guys like Chris Weidman and I've always thought Chris Weidman is like a uh, you know, I don't think I've ever even said this in an interview before, but he is like, he's like a ninja. Like he shoots a wrestling shot uh, in terms of distance in MMA. Like he has a very long shot. He covers so much distance. Yeah. And I'm like, that's incredible that he does that in MMA. Incredible. Um. I think that should only be done a couple of times. And uh, I thought he was doing an amazing job versus Yoel Romero uh, up until I think he went to the well too many times and he was just a little bit tired. And, and that's how he ended up getting caught. When you look at it, and I'm, I'm talking, of course, Phil Davis victorious against Yoel Romero last Saturday. Uh, when you look at it, and, and I've said this about Yoel Romero, I don't know how many times I've, I've called a few of his fights. I've never seen him fight for five minutes straight, ever. Even in rounds, like he'll he'll do something crazy, knock you down, and then take a break and let opponents back in. And Robert Whitaker, he kept, you know, exploding, and then Robert Whitaker would fight for the next three minutes straight and kind of win back the round. Was there any thought of that going into this? And look, no matter how bad it gets, if you keep the pressure on, he'll back up eventually. Was that a thought in this fight? Uh, honestly, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you should have had me coaching. You should have paid result, me as an advisor because that's how it is. We, the, the end result was always, hey, listen, no matter what, keep the pressure because right. Uh, I, I always felt like, uh, you know, he he has a a ceiling in terms of his cardio, but he's incredibly powerful uh, in the short term. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was always like, it's always like, uh, you know, um, I got to beat him down the stretch. And that's kind of where I was against Nimkov, except Nimkov has a, a, a really, um, he has a, a, he's, he's pretty good down the stretch. Uh, I just, I just needed to push him more in the front. And I was like, all right, don't make that mistake again. Really push hard in the first and second round and, uh, and try to get it, it, in my mind, I don't think I've even voiced this with my coaches, uh, but in my mind, I was thinking the harder you work in the first two rounds, the closer you can get to a 10-8 round in the third. You know? Yeah. That, that to me, would be an ideal fight. Now, that that's like, like I said, ideal. How do you do that against a guy like Yo Romero? <laughs> Very difficult. What are your thoughts right now with, obviously, it looks like Anthony Rumble Johnson out of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament for undisclosed health reasons. We don't know what's going on. Um, is there any thought of, you know, they need a guy? Have they talked to you about, to, to you about stepping in? Is, how do you see your future right now in the next few fights in Bellator with everything kind of in flux right now? Man... Um... Uh, well, you know, honestly, uh, in, in terms of what I see next for myself, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's really just kind of wait and see. It's kind of what it's always been. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, you know, fighting one of the baddest dudes on the planet that, uh, that moves you up the ladder. Yeah. So, um, you know, at this point it's just, uh, um, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the promotion and the uh, I I think they uh, they res- respect me so I'm I'm glad waiting on whatever they have. What was the thought? I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. When a guy like Yoel Romero joins the division, big signing from the UFC, uh, which you were also when when you came over. What's the thought of? Hey, we want you to fight Yoel Romero. Is it? Yeah, can't wait to fight that guy. Is it? Is he the guy that a lot of people are wondering? You know, if, if people would avoid him coming into Bellator, what were your thoughts being offered that fight? What were your thoughts taking that fight? Any hesitation? Um, never hesitation, man. Um, it, it's, it's a, it's a big fight. It's a dangerous fight. And, uh, but at the same time, though, that's what makes the sport, the sport fun for me. You know, you don't, yeah. uh, you just don't, you don't grow by fighting guys. There's times when you feel like, this is a dangerous fight because everybody expects me to win. And, uh, you know, you just, if it goes longer than, you know, one period, then people are going to say I suck. That That is a scary situation. <laughs> That's yeah. a scary situation. You know, when you're in there with a guy like Yo Romero and, you know, my diehard fans say Phil's got this and his diehard fan says Phil has no chance and, the you know, MMA media at a whole says Yo, Yo Romero might have this. This might be the next victim on his list. That's a, that's a great place to be, man. That's a great place to be because I, I use that energy to push me further in my training, to uh, make sure I'm taking all the right steps and getting all my nutrition and uh, getting everything down to the T, getting it perfect. Um, I think when in big moments, a lot of people uh, don't know how to do two things, like – I call it steady in my spirit. Like uh, I, I, I just pray and, and keep myself really grounded, you know. And um, and also, um, they don't know how to use the pressure of the moment to push them further in their training and push them further in their, um, you know, uh, just in, in in shaping their overall game. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, getting ready for a final. Well, this isn't some, you know, weekly quiz you have. Now you want to dig deep and make sure you gain a, a good good depth and knowledge of all the different things, all the different systems that are going to be on this final, um, all the, the things that kind of interact with each other. And you, you get where I'm at? I understand uh, I you completely, pressure, yeah. The pressure of those moments kind of makes people – uh, break down, and um, I, I feel like when you're a top-level uh, performer, uh, the pressure of those moments helps you see clear what you're missing and, and, and li- really helps you uh, lean into those areas. The last thing i got to ask you, and most people don't know this, they don't think about this, it's not really on the radar, you were 4-0 and when you made your UFC debut. You got thrown to the Wolves. Brian Stan, Alexander Gustafson, Rodney Wallace, Tim Bosch, uh, Little Nog, Rashad Evans. That was your introduction. Was you didn't yeah. even have ten fights, and you're taking on former champions and legends and, and incredibly tough fighters. What's it like learning on the job? It's not something people do often these days. Get into the UFC in their fifth fight. What was it like learning all the things you're telling me about? Right, learning on the job. How right. was that? 
well, two things happened. Not only was I learning on the job, I wasn't I wasn't learning off of the job. Because mm. when you have five fights in 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 twelve months or thirteen months, guess what? You're not really growing in between fights. You are preparing and you are fighting. And you're you're not growing as a fighter. Uh you you just can't. Because once they put once they set a date and once they say this is the guy you're fighting then you tailor mate what you're learning to meet to beat that person. Uh, and and it, even though that uh, I do that to a far less degree um, at this point, both because I I know my fighting style, um, and uh, I know I have I have strengths and weaknesses in a, a more rounded game. Um, man, it's not it's 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 not fun or easy. <laughs> To be in there, I like you know when I look back to my my loss to Rashad Evans, I think like I I I truthfully have peace, um, not with the fact that I lost, but just the fact that I tried my hardest and I still came up short. But that's okay because that guy is experienced. That guy was a former champion. That guy had been at this sport for almost a decade at that point, and I was still two years removed out of college. So. Uh, you know, it's. I look at that and I'm like, man, I, I gave it, I gave it all I had at that point. Now, I need more time. I need more experience. Phil, it is always a pleasure talking to you, my man. Hopefully, I get down to where you are and we get a rematch on the mat sometime soon. But it is always a pleasure having you on the show, my man. Best of luck to you moving forward, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. Sirius XM Podcasts.